Hi, and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. My name is Mary Jo McGuire, owner of MJ Nutrition. I have a degree and master's in nutritional science, and I'm studying to be a nutritional therapist also. I work with women every day who want to lose weight, improve their relationship with food, hack their hormones, regulate their cycle, restore their periods, learn about nutrition for hormonal balance, help women come off the pill, and lots more. This podcast will be a place to talk about all things female health related, from periods, the pill, weight loss, diets, fertility, acne, PMS, and lots, lots more. I hope this platform to be educational and empowering so women can take charge of their health, their hormones, so they can feel and look their best at all stages. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Female Health Podcast. Today, I am joined by a fabulous woman, Layla. She is the founder of a women's health supplement company called MyOva. So uh, I've come across these through my Instagram and I have been chatting with them for a while and uh, a big follower of what they do. And uh, I'm very excited for you guys to hear this conversation that we're about to have. And it's an important one, particularly for women with uh, PCOS, but also so for women in general, just to be advocates for their own health and for getting the message out there of how important it is for um, women's health topics to be more spoken about, uh, more widely spoken about, including endometriosis, uh, PCOS and other issues as well. So, Naila, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, you're very welcome. So I guess to start off with, do you want to maybe just introduce yourself? Um, and I suppose I introduce you as the founder of your company I was going to talk a little bit about your company and just uh, go from there really yeah so um I set up my over around six years ago um it was after a really long fertility struggle um I suppose I had at the time I, I was suffering from infertility and recurrent miscarriage which seems a strange combination but um I suffered from six miscarriages in total <clears throat> but in between those times, um, this was over a five-year period, but in between those times, I'd go for a year or so without falling pregnant at all. And it just got to the point where the doctors couldn't really tell me what was wrong. Um, they just told me it was just bad luck, just keep trying. There was literally nothing wrong with me. They did every NHS test under the sun in regard to my miscarriages. And after miscarriage number four, I just thought, you know what, enough is enough. I, I can't. I can't lay my faith in, you know, whatever will be, will be, you know, I have to try and do something about it. So that's when I really started researching recurrent miscarriage and, um, and PCOS basically, because we can talk about my PCOS journey, but I, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 19. And um, from my research, I realized that PCOS can cause poor egg quality. So I went into a kind of like a rabbit hole of, how to improve equality with PCOS. And I came across this supplement called Myo Inositol. Um, and after doing lots of research about it, I realized that actually it's really beneficial for women with PCOS. And if I didn't know about it, there must be millions of other women that are going through this that, that don't know either. So that's when I really started looking at suppliers and had this idea about maybe I could launch my own um, supplement and um, yeah, it really grew from there. And we launched the company just as my, I found out I was pregnant with my first son, Louis. Oh. So um, I ended up having two babies really that year. My, my 
amazingly yeah. my first baby which I didn't ever think would ever happen and uh, also launching my company and it's just been incredible it's been one of those things where it's been such an easy journey actually compared to what I had with trying to conceive um I just think that there hasn't really been anything for, or a community for, for women with PCOS um where they can get they can connect with other women we've got a we've got a um community called the PCOS Collective on Facebook Um, so women can talk to other women about their symptoms and their condition um, the ups and downs the anxiety and the depression that follows from having PCOS Um, so that and and also just the the emails that I get from customers who have you know struggled for years and are finally feeling better in their own skin because that's all we ever want really we don't want miracles we just want to feel normal don't we yeah um so yeah so we we've we've got two products that we we sell at the moment we've got the Myo Plus which contains 4000 milligrams of myoinositol and the preconception supplement which is a myoinositol blend with a a, a whole um preconception vitamins and minerals to support healthy pregnancy and we're just about to launch um balance which is for mood and anxiety hair, skin and nails and metabolism. So these are all myo-inositol-based supplements with additional vitamins and minerals to help support that particular need or symptom. I'm so like just hearing all about what you have like as a nutritionist I'm so excited to like hear about the different um products even just because they sound they're research-based or evidence-based they they work and like you know the evidence is just surmountable now for the benefits of myonositol for PCOS I'd be absolutely lost without it it's like my I don't go anywhere without it basically and um like all those other products sound really really good as well that are coming up and something that um I'd be very happy to um to advocate for you know when it comes to women with PCOS and their health yeah amazing Um, and so I guess thank you for sharing your story so far Uh, I guess going back to the start then your diagnosis of PCOS you were 19 is that right yeah so I actually um I started my period quite late actually I wasn't um, I didn't start my period till I was 15 years old um, and then sort of those years in between 15 and 19, I, I didn't really didn't understand what was happening to my body. I, uh, I was just having really irregular periods. So being that young, did I track my period? No, I didn't. But there, it got to the point when I was at university where it would be significant. So there would be a gap of like eight weeks and then it'd be two weeks. And, I, you know, it's enough for me to think, well, something's not right. So I went to the doctors, uh, explained my symptoms, and she took a blood test and, and did a, a scan of my ovaries. And when I went back for my diagnosis, she told me that I had PCOS. So I really felt there was a lack of clarity around what that actually was. She didn't explain to me what it was. Um, she only told me that I would find it difficult to conceive, difficult to have a baby. And even though I wasn't looking at getting pregnant anytime soon, I remember being really devastated because I think as a woman, you just, well, for many women, not everyone's the same, but I think for a lot of women, you just assume that you're going to have children when you're older. Um, And the thought of that potentially not being my future, I was really upset about it. And I remember going back to my boyfriend at the time in tears. And then I did something really silly. I, um, I stopped using contraception because I thought I couldn't get pregnant because that's what the doctor said. And literally three months later, I fell pregnant. And again, hugely um, traumatic thing to have to go through. But did I mean, you know, I look back on it now and I think even at the time, I didn't tell anybody because I was so ashamed. I felt really stupid. I was really embarrassed. 
having to go back to the doctors three months later and, and say that I'm pregnant. Um, but, you know, looking back on it now, it, I realise the language that some healthcare professionals use, especially when diagnosing PCOS, there needs to be some education around that because words lead to actions. And had she said to me, you know, the reason why you might not get pregnant is because you don't have regular periods or you might not ovulate, you know, some kind of understanding around it rather than you're just going to find it difficult to have a baby may have led me to make different decisions. Um, So I think even back then a seed was planted in my mind that something quite wasn't right, you know, it wasn't quite right with the system. Um, And I think that's coupled with what happened later, later on in life with my PCOS and not really getting any support around that um really wanted to led me to want to do something about it and that's why I wanted to launch this petition yeah okay so before we get into the petition there I completely agree with you what you're saying around the language it's so so important for these sensitive topics and um I can't tell you like I work with so many women who come to me with PCOS who've literally heard those words I heard the exact same words at 19 as well and I remember being really upset too and it hit me in a weird way and then I guess I put it to the back of my mind because it wasn't something that was you know going to be I wanted to get pregnant that quickly but at the same time it was always kind of bubbling up there in my yes. in my 20 it was always bubbling there absolutely yeah absolutely. and relationship I had it would be something that would be in my head like uh, do I need to tell them this like it's just you know this all this kind of stuff comes and you feel a bit of shame about it as well and there are so many feelings about it so a hundred percent agree and like a bit of education around the, the wording because firstly there is many women with PCOS who can get pregnant and there is women who do struggle so it's not like a blanket you know every single woman and of course talking about the what's actually going on you struggle to ovulate so you don't get periods and that's why you may find it harder to get pregnant Um, and that Mm. kind of conversation will be a lot more also empowering for a woman to realize what's going on in her own body Um, yeah you know, rather than saying you will struggle to get pregnant, here's a pill to give you a bleed every month. And that's basically what you get. Maybe they yeah. might tell you also to lose a bit of weight. And that's another thing I see a lot of. Yeah. They are just told to lose weight with, again, very little how to do so a lot of the women I work with have been trying for years yeah. and they struggle because of the metabolic issues going on on an underlying level so yeah um I, I just wanted to, to touch on that point that you said about the, the the language around it um so you spoke there about the the petition that you were trying to get um, more signatures for so yeah. let's talk about this and <clears throat> let people know what this petition is about yeah so essentially it's um too many women are going undiagnosed you know it's it's crazy that one in 10 girls will leave school and develop PCOS or endometriosis but the first time we hear about it is in the doctor's office it's you know it, it just it just isn't right and also those conditions affect every area of your life you know um in different ways I think endometriosis, obviously, the pain that it can cause can lead to time off work. It can, you know, lead to hospital appointments, doctor's appointments. You know, you feel like you're going around in circles. And the the average wait time for endometriosis diagnosis is eight years and three A&E trips. Um, And I know anecdotally for this to be true because my friend had been suffering with it for over eight years. And because it wasn't picked up on an ultrasound, 
they couldn't diagnose it. They didn't know what's wrong with her. And she actually thought she was dying at one point because she was being sick and you know, it collapsed in pain. And uh, they finally found out that she had endometriosis and you had, she had to have a big operation. You know, and it shouldn't get to the point where women are, you know, it's debilitating and it's having a massive impact on their lives. And then with PCOS, I mean, PCOS is actually a very treatable condition, isn't it? Yeah. But um, the effects, even mild effects, you know, the ones that include, you know, your skin, your skin, acne and all those things that are front facing. But then you've got the internal things that, that are going on, you know, the what's wrong with me? Why are my periods irregular? Um, and the thing is, these can go on for years with women feeling, you know, really isolated, rejected, um, you know, not knowing, not understanding, frustrated with what's going on with their bodies and not being able to talk to anyone about it. And I think there's a lot of embarrassment and shame around it as well, just because with PCOS, you've got you can have excess hair and all of those things. And I think that it's so great that so many women um, are happy to share these things on social media. And I follow a couple of girls on TikTok who are having to shave their skin because of the excess hair, the, you know, the excess testosterone in their bodies. Um, so I think it's a case of both normalizing it and be, feeling that they can be open and talking talk about it as well, because that ultimately is how people are going to heal by being able to share. Oh, absolutely. And like, if I go back to and like, I'm sure you can feel the same, like you're, say, your 20s there wasn't much talk about this at all and there was no social media then to see like to follow specific yes. US pages and, and and podcasts back then so I guess that's why one of the reasons I set up this podcast was to like get more of a conversation going about topics that aren't spoken about a lot and yeah. for people to feel that they're not alone and like those things you described there like I definitely felt what's wrong with me and I didn't have anywhere to vocalize it to because all my friends had regular periods so I was like I'm the only one so I, there was yeah. nowhere to go and I felt unfeminine or infeminine I, I I had the excess hair growth and I I just didn't feel normal as such and I didn't yeah. know what it was but it just didn't feel normal and again most women can relate to that feeling so getting this out like imagine this being spoken about in schools like it would just open up a conversation people could talk about this at lunchtime women would not feel as alone if this conversation was more openly spoken about and having it in a setting that's educational informative um, and giving them action steps I guess for what to do next is going to be empowering and, and motivating and give them momentum to 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 see change which is going to be so beneficial yeah, I mean, the thing is also with PCOS, especially, it's really important that, you know, that women are able to improve their health later on in life, because the thing is with PCOS, you know, those symptoms, if they're not dealt with, they can cause, you know, things like endometrial cancer, cardiovascular disease, you know, really type two diabetes, you know, these things need to be nipped in the bud and they're so preventable and they actually cost the NHS a huge amount of money. Yes. So if you're able to actually nip it in the bud and be able to educate girls from the get-go, then, you know, if there would just be a significant, significant improve, you know, improving, oh gosh. Improvements in Improvements, yeah. sorry. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> Significant improvement in, in women's health in general. And also I think that the problem is also that we, we don't actually teach girls how to get pregnant either. We're taught so much in school about 
how to prevent pregnancy that we don't actually know how our bodies work to make a baby. So, for example, it wasn't until I was, you know, in my 30s when I was actually trying to conceive that I realised you could only get pregnant within a five-day period of your cycle. Um, And I was amazed. I was like, oh, my goodness, all these years I've been thinking I could get pregnant any day of the month, and actually it's only within a five-day period. And then when I spoke to friends about it, they didn't know either. And they thought they were like, no. Yeah. That, isn't it crazy it is it's crazy like it, there's such, there was such a scaremongering about it like you know don't get pregnant in your teenager like your teenage years yeah. and in your 20s and honestly like you just I remember the feeling that you'd be so worried that you were pregnant like for <laughs> you wouldn't really do anything yes. yeah <laughs> exactly crazy. and there was there would have been absolutely no chance you would have been pregnant and you no spent chance ages were like maybe sometimes three weeks worrying genuinely like, <laughs> you like, might obviously be. with PCOS then you're not getting a period so you're like oh that's it I'm pregnant well <laughs> yeah. yes that's the thing as well and I think that's the reason why another reason why we need to be educated about it just because it you know just understanding how your body works is fundamental to your mental health as well oh, isn't it I can um, honestly go back into the amount of anxiety and you know like it really there was no need for it, but at the same time there's a you can understand why it was there you know no period showing up and you know the amount of anxiety that I had for like mm. you know and I'm definitely not the only one like so many go, go through that like where is my next period coming am I pregnant am I not what's going on exactly, yeah. exactly. And it your head spinning like so and that has a profound effect on your mental health your quality of life how you work your relationships everything it yeah. every aspect of your life so. it does it really does and you know the good thing is that the government did introduce, um, well, in the in the UK anyway, um, sex education, health education on in, into the national curriculum, or menstruation actually into the national curriculum in 2020 yeah. when teaching children about health. So that's a really good start, yeah. uh, and they're teaching it to boys as well, which is really yeah. important because. And that, and I also believe, you know, when we're talking about PCOS and endometriosis, those should be taught to both girls and boys. Yeah. You know, I have two boys and I want them to grow into being kind, thoughtful, considerate men, yeah. because ultimately men are going to be around us. They're going to be our husbands, our brothers, our co-workers, you know, and if they don't understand gyne- important gynecological issues that do have a massive impact on women's lives, yeah. then, you know, it's, it's, we're just going to carry on this cycle. Absolutely. And it creates more of a stigma and more of a divide, yeah. et cetera. So yeah, no, it's a really, it's definitely, it needs to go out to both, uh, both genders. And when you say this petition and, and when you say, what's your plan with, what kind of education do you want to have out there when it does happen? Like, is it like um, understanding what is involved in a diagnosis um, what you can do about it, treatments, what, what kind of um, style or I guess, or would you be going? Well, it's, well, obviously, we want to educate girls about what it is, fundamentally what PCOS is, you know, and what the, what the symptoms are um, and when, how and where to get help. And I think that's where the self-advocacy comes in again. Yeah. It's really important to be able to stand up for your rights, be able to, um, if you go to the doctors and you're fobbed off, because sometimes that does happen, um, you're able to say, no, actually, I know my body. And we do all know our bodies. As women, we know when something's not right. And it's easy for some, when you go to the doctors, for them to say, actually, no, you're fine. You don't have this. You don't have that. You could actually stand up for yourself and say, no, actually, no, I, I've learned about this at school. I, I'm educated about it. 
I want a second opinion. Um, and also knowing that even silly things like, well, it's not silly, but little things like um, when you go to the doctors, ask for a doctor that specialises in women's health. Yeah. Um, I would never have known that when I went to the doctors for my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and I secondly wouldn't have ever questioned the doctor because I think when you're when you're that young and that's when you're getting your diagnosis, you're kind of in your late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily know that you can a get a second opinion or b the doctor probably might not know everything and they might not be trained in those mm. in those particular conditions so you know it's just really important that yes we know what the what the symptoms are and also how to go about getting help and what kind of help you you can expect what are the medication options do you need to have medication what and, you know and especially with uh, something like PCOS it's not necessarily you don't have to go down a medication route you can actually manage your symptoms quite well with nutrition which obviously yeah. you know all about so just understanding that you can you can hold things or, or or just have a better quality of life and um stop those symptoms getting worse later in life um and then also you know understanding what your options are when you do want to get pregnant yeah. lots of women get pregnant perfectly well with pcos and don't have any problems whatsoever but if you are running into problems what do you, what can you do about it I mean, for me, I ended up um, having fertility treatment. I mean, we conceived naturally, but I was put on a drug called letrozole, which is quite similar to clo clomid. Is that yeah. right? um, and I think letrozole is better for women with PCOS because it doesn't um, it doesn't give you so many eggs. I think yeah. or stimulate so much yeah. so many follicles um, for when when you uh, ovulate. So just knowing those options are available because. I get emailed from so many women just panicking because they haven't had a period for a while and they want to try and conceive and they're freaking out. But actually, you know, as long as you know that a, you know, there are ways you can, you can prepare your body for pregnancy with PCOS naturally. And if those aren't working, what are the options after that? And it just, I do believe also that stress plays a huge role in fertility and not getting pregnant and, you know, as much as someone would say to me sort of five years in or four years in of my fertility journey, you need to relax, you know, that's the last thing you want to hear. No. But um, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to stay stress-free when you've been trying for a while. And it's usually at the same time when all of your friends are starting to have babies and you feel like you're being left behind. Yeah. Um, so I think that even just having that knowledge early on in life will save so much unnecessary pain and heartache you know later in life yeah so for you do you think if you're looking back on your your whole journey like what would you like to have known I guess is it just like that more education like the you know the different options that were available to you that and, and that have helped you do you think yeah I mean for me sim I, I had a similar um, situation to you in that I always had it in the back of my mind that I was going to find it difficult to see conceive even though I did fall pregnant um I, I think the shock of hearing that I think when you hear something quite traumatic it stays in your body almost I really believe that yeah and um you know just not having that kind of um traumatic information given to you at such an early age but also I think just knowing that it would have been okay and had I struggled I knowing what route to go down because 
previous to seeing this, I found a, a recurrent miscarriage specialist in the end, thank God, because I don't, I truly don't believe I would have had my children without him. But before that, we ended up going to general fertility clinics where they offer IVF and, yeah. and um, IUI and all of those things. And we went to one fertility clinic and they wouldn't do anything when we were going to have IUI and they wouldn't give us the treatment unless we spent, oh, I think we spent around, including appointments, nearly £10,000 on, um, I think I had a hysteroscopy, which is where they check if there's any scarring in your womb. I had, I can't remember what it's called, but they put a dye in to make sure there's no blockages in your ovaries. All these really expensive things I, I had done to finally have some IUI treatment, which didn't work. Um, and then when I finally found my fertility doctor, he just said, you didn't need to have all of that. You know, you just, wow. it's crazy. So you just need to be careful and mindful and be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about your body. So you don't end up spending or wasting lots of money like I did, you know. And how would anyone know that, though? I mean, that's such a, a specific, you're going to believe the fertility clinic, of course. And was there a difference in the fertility doctor that you finally went? Was he like, was he medical fertility, fertility to doctor, doctor? Sorry. Yeah. So he um, he specialized in in recurrent miscarriage, but in, but in particular um, regarding high natural killer cells. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this. So... <laughs> because I was just so desperate, I was kind of like searching for every single possible reason why this could be happening to me. And um, I eventually came across this book and it was talking about high natural killer cells and how your body can actually start attacking the pregnancy. Um, and then I found him and he, he'd helped women who had had, one girl had had 20 miscarriages. I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, I wouldn't even want to think about what you know what she actually went through he helped so many women so I went to see him and and although my NK cells weren't you know really sky high there was an element of that so he just treated me the way he'd treat all his all of his other other patients so it was having the letrozole you know conceived naturally so I'd have to go in every few days and he would scan my ovaries see when the follicles were growing and then I would have an injection to release the eggs and then we were told to have sex like two days, like the following two days or something. And um, I think I, I think it works like second time round, second second um, cycle. And then once my first son Louis was born, I was so worried about going through the whole thing, you know, of all yeah. those miscarriages all over again, that we started trying again six months after he was born. I don't know what I was thinking or how I even did yeah. it, but. Oh my goodness. But we actually conceived Luca a week after Louis's first birthday. So I ended up having two children in two years. Wow. Um, yeah, I look back and I think, oh my goodness, how how did, A, how was I pregnant and had two babies within that small period of time? And also having two very young children yeah. um, is a lot, you know. And a business. <laughs> and a business, yeah. yeah. So that was um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of did it all all at once. But um obviously it was worth it. But it's just a shame that it took me that long to get to, to find him. Um, but yeah, I think if any other women are going through recurrent miscarriage, I'm more than happy for them to contact me and I'll, I'll share the details with the doctor I went to see. I think that's really, really helpful and in a way reassuring for women to know, like, you know, even hearing that story of that woman with 20 miscarriages, that yes, able to help 
Um, and can I ask you, what was your cycles like then in your 20s? Did you have periods? Did you ovulate or um, w- w- were they re- irregular still? Um, they were, the- yeah, oh. they were they were irregular throughout my 20s. Um, but then I wasn't I wasn't with anybody. I wasn't planning on having a baby. But um, as I got into my 30s, they were still irregular. Um but they weren't too bad. They would they would be around thirty five days. So some okay. women obviously have sixty days, or yeah, you know, not of not any periods at all. But it wasn't until I started tracking my cycle and, and when I was trying to conceive, finding out when I ovulated, because obviously that's really important. I realized that I was ovulating on day 20, 21 of my cycle, yeah. and this is another thing <laughs> that is a real bugbear of mine that you you're told. As, as women that you have a 28 day cycle and you ovulate yeah. on day 14 and a lot of women who just starting trying to conceive they will literally just think right I'm ovulating on day 14 have sex around that time and then completely miss their yeah. ovulation Window. yeah and I mean I, there was I have read a lot about these ovulation sticks not working for women with PCOS because yeah. of the luteinizing hormone yeah, yeah. but they they always seem to work for me and I've I've recommended them to quite a few of our customers to use them and they've found them really helpful and they've realized they actually ovulate a lot later um and I guess that's maybe why I'm not I'm not 100% sure but I guess that's why maybe women with PCOS the air quality is not as good because you ovulate maybe later in your cycle um but yeah I think that's really important so it's not only knowing tracking your cycles it's also tracking your ovulation a hundred percent because there is such thing as getting a period and not even ovulating you can have anovulatory cycles yes just going by your period is not enough particularly if you are trying to conceive so that's really really useful information again to get out there that um signs of ovulation to pay attention to are like the cervical mucus yes um, spike in basal body temperature if you are tracking your temperature um and then maybe the physical signs which are less accurate but you know things like you know increased mood increased libido increased energy things like that but more importantly would be the rise in basal body temperature and a mix of change in cervical mucus which is more stretchy egg white watery that kind of kind of um texture and that's really important to pay attention to and like you say if you're ovulating that late you are probably having a shorter luteal phase, which means you're not making enough progesterone, which is also so important for a sustained and healthy pregnancy during trimester one. And so all of these things are, you know, big, important things to pay attention to and to know about your cycle when trying to conceive. As they tell you a story, they tell you what's going on with your cycle, if you are in a healthy place or not to maybe get pregnant right now. So this education is massive for women to know about because there is power in this because I can say for me, I used to have those cycles that could be two years, two, two, two a year. Then it went down to 90 days. Then it could have been 60 days. So it gradually got shorter. But like I was obviously ovulating, like if even ovulating at all, like, um, you know, so understanding that. And then thankfully now I have a shorter cycle, but similar to you, it's still 35 days. I don't have mm. the, the 28 day cycle, but like, you know, I'm aware of when I ovulate and, you know, it's okay to have a 35 day cycle, but as long as you're ovulating, knowing when you ovulate and, and that, so it, it's a, I pretty much check it every month really, but just anyone listening, it's really, really important to be paying attention to ovulation signs, not just your period. Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing, even with the, because I, I found the basal 
testing and temperature testing quite tricky. There's definitely an art to it. And I think also when you're not sure when you're going to ovulate, it's a lot to kind of, because you have to do it last thing at night and first thing in the morning. Is that right? Yeah, I always find that very tricky. Yeah. It's it's a lot to be, to stick into. And like, like, you know, it's, I always, I think of women who are trying to lose weight, they're constantly looking at numbers on the scale. Similarly, like if you're trying to get pregnant or trying to ovulate, you're constantly looking at these numbers. Did it rise? Have I risen? And it's yeah. very, you know, there's a huge amount of time put into looking at numbers. So, you know, it's not for everyone. And I always kind of say that like with my clients, you know, you don't have to do this. It does kind of give you some more accurate data, but at the same time, we can work on just, you know, supporting the body to ovulate internally and just kind of going by that for, for now. Um so each to their own, I would always say with that because it's it, it can be a lot to do to, to, to Yeah, on. exactly. And that's going back to the self-advocacy, isn't it, really? And just knowing how your body works and and asking the right questions. I mean, even with cervical mucus, I had no idea what that was with my, in my, you know, again, until I was trying to conceive, had no idea what was what that was. I know. So, you know, it's just, it's just it, I find it completely bizarre that, yeah. you know, but then, you know, the, historically the healthcare system has been created for men by men, hasn't it? Even yeah. though you know, especially in the UK, the population of women is over 50%. You know, we go to the doctors more often, we go to the hospital more often, we get ill more often just because there's more things that can go wrong with us because we have so many, so many gynecological issues. But clinical research is done on men. Um, even crash test dummies are done on men. So it's, you know, women are underrepresented on so many levels yeah there's women are out of touch with their own bodies really we we weren't told or the whole system has been designed for us not to nearly know what's going on with our own bodies which is is crazy like if you were to go back hundreds of years ago before technology before anything women knew exactly what was going on with their bodies you know they paid attention to it they uh, they were able to like had the intuition to understand the little things that were happening whereas we're so out of touch with it and you know I do think we place a lot of emphasis on you know outside things to get us healthy again you know like the quick fixes and things like that whereas you know just going back to like things like you said like just managing our our stress and our self-care and nourishing our bodies with the, the right foods and just really treating the body does need to be treated differently than a man's we need different nourishment levels you know and uh, different eating patterns as well so you know things like that I think are really important to get out there and like you say yeah we are underrepresented in the in the medical system unfortunately at the moment I know I know and I was reading this and um, just talking about going back years and years but I was reading I've read this interesting book by Kate Northrup called Do Less but she talks about how um you know, our bodies or our periods should be in line with the moon. Yeah. So um, I think we bleed on the new moon and ovulate on the full moon. Yeah. And if we were, say, for example, we were all uh, I don't know, on, a, on, a, on a boat away from natural light, all of us would start sinking, all our periods would start sinking. I mean, it's magical, really, isn't it? It's yeah. completely magical, like unbelievable. There's a lot of power we have as women, really, a lot of power. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been taken away from us. 
It has been, yeah. Like, and you know, it's probably we laughed about now if you were to mention the moon stuff, like, but I'm really into that. Like, I'm really, I'm really into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had actually a, a lady on talking about it on one of my podcasts. It's like she's really into the, the power of the moon. And like it's not for everyone, of course, but like um, you know, it does go back that our cycle is a 28-day lunar cycle or you know, 29-day lunar cycle. So um, you know, it's similar to the the, the menstrual cycle for you know the when I say that, like for a, they kind of advise that, but again, as we now know, not everyone has that length of a menstrual cycle. It, it's varies, but yeah, yeah, I do find it really, really interesting. Um, and we would all sync up together if we were put together. I know, I know. And then how fast would that be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But for yeah, time. I just sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Go on ahead. So that you... no, I was just going to say. I think the the thing is, we've just been normalized into thinking that 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 our pain is just part of parcel of being a woman basically and I think that you know I I don't know if you if you saw that the women's health strategy I think it happened during COVID and so I think it kind of went oh no actually no it wasn't it was launched in July this year it's uh, the women's health strategy for England and um, it's kind of outlining how we can improve women's health across every level so from schools to to you know in the within the healthcare system and at work and they had a hundred thousand respondents and 84 percent of respondents felt they weren't listened to by their healthcare professional or, or their gp um which really says a lot especially when it comes to unseen pain like heavy periods or painful periods that could be a sign of endometriosis can't, can't it so you know, I think we've just been, we just need to, we just need to speak up and be confident in ourselves. Because I think as women, we double, double guess ourselves a lot of oh, the time, totally. yeah. don't we? I mean, like, yeah. is it? And then you go to the doctors and they say, no, you're fine. And then you kind of waste another couple of years, don't you? Of, oh, don't, of kind of going, well, they said I was fine. And then it takes, you know, eventually you find out that what was wrong with you was what you thought was wrong in the first place. Yeah. And a lot of women are told it's just phantom pain and it's just in their head and uh, it's, it's, medical gaslighting really they're not like you know really being heard and like you say everyone knows their own body like they do that pain is real for them and should be further investigated and like you know the pain that women go through with endometriosis is massive and like the, yeah. the impact that has on their quality of life is huge and like we said earlier it affects every aspect it's you know it's your work your relationships your your ability say to play sport whatever it is it, it's huge so um it, the, the mental implications that has like and the the like, you know can you imagine like being in a relationship with someone and it breaking down because the pain was too much and you yeah. it was it's a chronic illness it takes over it so is your your life and how much that would affect you then so yeah it, it's it's more than just a physical symptom or a physical issue it, it's everything it's a, and um yeah I just can't you know I just wanted like you wanted to be more spoken about and women to get the 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 treatment the help that they deserve yeah I mean in this one thing I did find that was fascinating in this and would be amazing if it happened but they were talking about creating these women's health hubs yeah. where you would have um, your, you know, GP that specialises in women's health, and then you would have an endometriosis specialist, PCOS specialist, yeah. you know, all this, all these things. So if you were having those symptoms, you can literally be referred with on the same day even yeah. to see somebody who's able to help you. So I think the issue is also that, you know, you're given the diagnosis, but there's no aftercare. So, 
you know what do you do afterwards you're kind of left out in the cold not knowing what to do next yeah and I think maybe you might be given a leaflet just to like maybe eat healthy or lose weight or something but like I said I honestly you know the amount of women I work with who have been on the lowest calorie diets or exercising non-stop they try they've tried everything and then to be told you need to lose weight it's not a nice thing to hear you know when they've already been trying and going through a rough time so um and yeah like a, a leaflet isn't enough there needs to be more aftercare like you say for 100 percent, and that goes for a lot of conditions you know again even type 2 diabetes you know there's not some may get referred to a dietitian but a lot are still left in, in the cold and left to go on their own so aftercare is most important after the diagnosis it's really really important so you know that's a huge amount of what I, what I do is I kind of I am looking at into aftercare people who come to work with me mm. to help them with that but um you know people who don't know that these options are available are left on their own which is where it gets it can be lonely for them they feel isolated not sure what to do and their health deteriorates because I think you said it earlier PCOS is not something that is just in your fertility years and it's not just something that affects your fertility it affects everything like your mental health and your physical health like type 2 diabetes risks cardiovascular risk uh, different types of cancers uterine cancers um and it doesn't go once your period stops it's also when you are in your menopausal years it's still there um just you know you're just because you're not getting periods you still have a condition that has is in, impacting your metabolic health and i think with pcos it's it's still a misconception that it's just a gynecological condition mm. it isn't it's a metabolic and endocrinological endocrinological condition sorry <laughs> i can never get that out properly and it's, so it's affecting every aspect every cell in your body is affected by pcos essentially you know so it's um you know there's it's, it's bigger than just your the, the gynecological gynecological yes i know what i know yeah yeah and i think the di- type 2 diabetes that in itself, I would have thought, would push the government to educate about this because, you know, secondary, the secondary symptom of type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetes as a result of PCOS is huge, you know, and it's so expensive and it costs people so much pain, you know, yeah. and, and kind of really deeply affect their lives, can't it? Yeah, it's, it's not... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big lifestyle issue that really impacts um, health and the consequences of having type 2 diabetes then are like obesity and renal issues and, and you know, eye um, problems with their eyes and everything. It's huge. So the expense to both yeah. the, the person and the medical system is huge. So it really has so many knock-on effects. This. So um, like what you're doing now, hitting like getting to the diagnosis early is essential. It's key because yeah. there is so many action steps that you can take. That's the great thing about it. And like, I, I, I like to say this about PCOS, it's not something to feel a victim by because you can take power with it. There is so yeah. much do and um it is a largely a lifestyle condition there's a lot that you can do with your nutrition your lifestyle your supplements your your overall care for yourself um and then there is you know support uh, medically if you wish to as well particularly around the fertility uh, route there's great support there and like your story is very it, it's a it's a sad one but also the end is amazing and like it, it's so it's reassuring for people to hear that that it is possible with PCOS it's sad the journey that you had to go um and I hopefully what you're doing will help more women not have to go through what you did go through yeah yeah 
Absolutely. I guess that's everything that we could go through today. Um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Is there anything you'd like to end the podcast on? Um, anything you'd like to say? You don't have to if you want to, or just let people know where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I just urge um, people to sign the petition, really. I mean, yeah. it affects, obviously, these conditions affect one in 10 women worldwide. But the chances are, even if you don't have it, you will probably know someone that does. And if you do have it, um, there's, you know, it is, it is hereditary PCOS, isn't it? Yeah. So if you if you have it, the chances are your, your daughter will have it too, and it will just get passed down. So it's really important we, we try and educate now and get this on the curriculum and just you know, start to um, be more open about women's health, you know, educate girls and boys early on so we can just remove the stigma around these really common, you know, but treatable conditions. But you can, hopefully we can put the the petition in your show notes and um, you can also sign the petition at our website, which is uh, myovacare.com. That's M-Y-O-V-A-Care.com. Yeah. And also for anyone who... um uses inositol or myonositol supplements and um, you're obviously a brand that supplies them um so definitely check them out as well um to get your myonositol if you've got pcos so you know anyone who works with me knows this i recommend four grams a day so you have that in your dose four thousand milligrams yeah. so um you, it's a really obviously a good quality supplement and um, so yeah, it's just another option for anyone who wants to get their supplements as well. Um, but again, Lila, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. It's been very um, enjoyable just to chat with you, hear your story and the work that you're doing is, is amazing. So uh, thank you for taking the time and thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode.